believe the Lord is saying a few things this morning. He's probably saying a lot more than I've heard. But um, one of the things I believe God is saying is that he's healing people physically this morning. And so um, I say that in fear and trembling um, on one hand because, you know, uh, I'm walking alongside people um, who are dealing with chronic pain. And someone was just sharing with me, like, the risk in holding out hope um, in case they don't get healed um, versus um, never surrendering to sickness, always surrendering to Jesus, and grieving and contending with one another in that tension. And so I do say that with fear and trembling. I do believe God is saying that, and I want to be obedient to that. Has anyone been healed this morning that you know of in your body, that you can do something you couldn't do before, or you felt God working in your body, and it was clear that he was bringing healing or a measure of healing to your bodies? Um, anybody? And he may be healing people now at the release of that word. Um, oftentimes God will heal in communion and the mystery of his power meeting our obedience and the receiving of of that which represents his um, forgiveness, his healing. Um, anybody? Okay. All right. Uh, amen. Amen. Praise God. Um, and so a second word that I believe the Lord is saying is put your sword in your sheath. And I uh, just heard that in the middle of the night and really just believe the Lord is saying, like, you don't need to defend yourself, that Jesus is your vindicator. Um, and you don't need to defend him as you contend, whether it's with family or friends, and you want and long for them to believe in him and to love him as you do, that God's got it. Um, and I think about what he said to Peter, and that that's from a scripture passage, you know, when he says to Peter, put away your sword, you know. And the context of that, in short, is he says to Peter, um, or before that, is that, you know, could you, can you watch with me and pray? So I think the word there for us to do is to put away the sword and to pray and trust Jesus with what's going on rather than trying to take control of it in fear or pride. Um, so I feel like that's a word for at least one of us this morning. Um, and lastly, um, I have a word about God. Uh, I think God is uprooting um, uh, false, or he's uprooting personal ambition rooted in false significance. I believe the Lord is saying that um, you're signif he's going to replace that. He's going to help you with that. <laughs> but that your significance comes from his love for you. And his love for you is enough. And that you're learning that in this season, not just through a teaching like something I just said right now. But that God is going to bring you, he's going to impart that to deep into your heart and settle that issue for you. You know, it's kind of like Patrick Mahomes isn't significant because he won the Super Bowl, right? Because maybe he's the best quarterback in the world. Maybe those things are true, but it's not why he's significant. He's significant because God loves him, amen? Um, and so, uh, well, um, in the last few weeks, we've been in this Manifest Presence series, and um, it's good to be preaching this morning. It's been a minute since I've been up here. Um, that's what they say in my neighborhood when it's been a while. 
It's been a minute, so in case you're like, well, it's been a little longer than that. Um, so, uh, but yeah, so we've ha- we've been talking about the manifest presence of Christ uh, over the last month, and this is our last day in that series. But first, right, we talked about the omnipresence versus the manifest presence of God, and how the omnipresent they're not opposed to each other, by the way, <laughs> but we made a distinction between them that the omnipresence of God is that the fact that God is everywhere all the time. The manifest presence of Christ is that God shows up in tangible, perceivable ways and makes us aware that he's here. The difference between that and becoming aware of, say, an inanimate object or another animate object is that he's transformational when he comes, right? That he brings, say, contrition, um, that leads to your wholeness, that he exalts Christ and brings you the humility of Christ, that he brings you love and joy, and you encounter that and are transformed by that. Um, Someone uh, gave language to this a couple weeks ago, that the manifest presence of Christ in short, in a short, easy way to remember, is God consciousness. I love that. It's like, okay, yeah, so the awareness that God is presence, that he's come to us. In the second week, we talked about, uh, preachers talked about um, the, from the passage of Moses and how Moses took this journey from an orphan kind of mindset in his heart, right? To that, like, I don't want to be used by you, God. I'm not fit. I'm not adequate to this place of realizing not only his calling and his purpose, but that God was his destiny, that God is our ultimate gift. Even as he's also our perfect gift giver, he's the ultimate gift. And so the reality that we have this right relationship through the covenant in Jesus' blood that we just remembered, that we just celebrated, that that, that he is the ultimate gift. And in in week three, last week, um, John and Christine preached. And they preached uh, sermons on, um, from a passage in Luke, and um, Christine, I was at Franklin Avenue with her, as she mentioned, and she talked about how um, God meets us in unsolicited ways, right? Like, we didn't ask, and she referenced to Jacob's dream in Scripture, um, but he comes with his vision and call for our lives, or comes and meets our need, in, and in other ways, he'll come to us, or unexpected ways, So not just unsolicited, but unexpected, that God will reveal himself to us. And we might be praying for these other things. God, do this for me, or God, we need this. And they're good, right prayers even. And and yet in that moment, at that time, God gives us what we need, right? And so he, say, affirms us and that he's with us and on the journey, even as we still contend, as I mentioned earlier, for the things that are not yet that we need to. Uh, John talked about how God is calling us to be torch bearers, which is really cool because it's a great segue into my sermon this morning from Hebrews chapter 12, if you can turn there with me. But, and what it looks like, both in terms of how we practice and receive Christ's kingdom in order to be increasingly Uh, on fire, or in other words, increasingly bearing 
what it is he has for us to do as a torch, as a lit church, as a church on fire, so to speak, with his manifest presence. What does it look like to steward or live in a lifestyle of revival, in other words? That this isn't just a matter, right, of, a revi- of say, a good meeting, this Christian life. Did I have a good meeting? Did I have a good feeling at the meeting when we came together and gathered? No, it's a lifestyle in spiritual community of revival, of this practicing his presence, right? And so if you guys can stand with me in honor of God's word, we're going to read out loud together. Um, I don't know about you, but I focus about a hundred times better when I read out loud the passage instead of trying to hang in there and listen to it. <laughs> so um, let's do that. It's on the screen behind me. If you, uh, it's Hebrews 12, 18 to 29. Let's read out loud together. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they couldn't bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death." The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You can be seated. Thank you. So in this context, that was a lot, right? And a lot of like long like sentences at a time. Like <laughs> he says he's get, he has a mouthful for each phrase that he's sharing there. But the first section of that passage, just to give some context, right, is the author of Hebrews is unpacking the... Um, he's unpacking... If you can go back to the passage, please. Um, 
He's unpacking the law, right? The Mosaic Covenant. He's talking about the time in Israel's history, God's chosen people in the Old Testament. He is talking about when the law is being given to them and the people would come with fear. And fear has to do with punishment, right? And before the cross, lest there were sacrifices of bulls and goats and rams regularly by priests um, who were set apart by God to do these things, then there was no remission of sins. And even when those things were done, their, conscience, their consciences were still not clear. It was a lesser covenant. It was a law that was good and even perfect, even given by God. And yet it did not save them. Right? And we talked about this some during Advent when we went through the, the old covenants, uh, the old covenant versus the new covenant. But that law is good and perfect, but it just points out by the standard of truth how far we fall short. It does not save, it shows us our need, and it's really good that way. <laughs> but then the author of Hebrews goes on in the next section, right? And he says, No, no, no. Now you have come to. Christ. You have come through Christ in the new covenant in his blood to a right relationship with God. And that's what we just remembered in taking of this holy sacrament communion this morning, right? That we've been reconciled to a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded of when Paul says, I preach Christ and Christ crucified. Like, this message not only doesn't get old, <laughs> but we go deeper into our understanding and our spirits of it as we rehearse it this side of heaven. Amen? And so, when we look at this covenant in this passage, we remember of what we have through Christ. I'm reminded of what someone said when he said that, a, a, a preacher, he said that um, the way is narrow to eternal life. And it's through Jesus Christ. But the kingdom of God is expansive. Amen? That through Christ we receive and we enter a kingdom. And Jesus talked a lot about his kingdom. And um, I had the opportunity, the privilege, to go to... Um, Asbury this past week. Um, some of you may not be familiar with go what's going on at Asbury University, um, but for better than two weeks, I know Brooke talked about it last week here, but for better than two weeks, there's been a revival, a spiritual awakening going on, primarily among uh, Gen Z um, people, or, which is, you know, 18 to 25-year-olds, really 10 to 25-year-old is the, is the Generation Z generation. But what's going on on this college campus, and I'm going to talk more about that later, but when we went there, because the spiritual awakening is happening in a concentrated area, there were people from all different Christian faith traditions, right, or, or um, denominations. And so, I mean, Pentecostals, Christian Missionary Alliance, like ourselves, or Methodists, or, Pen or Presbyterians, etc., came and gathered under the banner of Christ to encounter him and what he was doing, to see what was happening here by way of God meeting people in a special way at this point in time in a particular location. And, and um, some of those faith traditions, you know, they emphasize the covenant, 
which we, which we've talked about a lot this morning. We sang about the covenant, you know, this picture of Christ and His bride, and that the marriage that marriage is a great picture for us of covenant. Um, some some denominations emphasize the kingdom. When I the stream I grew up uh, in very much emphasized the covenant about which I just spoke, right? It was just like like faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross, that right relationship with God through his sacrifice is what we have now, and that's our position in Christ. And there was much less about the kingdom, but Jesus in the Gospels is always talking about the kingdom of God, right? He's always talking about what the kingdom of God is like, how to enter the kingdom, how to receive the kingdom on an ongoing basis. And it has huge implications for us today as the church, right, to continue to walk in him with lit, as a lit lamp, so to speak. Um, and so Mike Breen, who is uh, an author, a spiritual leader, um, minister of the gospel, he um, makes a, a good distinction, some cl gives us clarity for the covenant and the kingdom. And I hope that as I unpack w w this distinction, you'll see why I'm doing it in, in a moment. But um, And so he talks about the kingdom by way of, you know, or the covenant rather, is receiving the Father's love and obeying the Father because he loves us. That's the covenant, right? We know it happens through Jesus. There's more to that story of how it happens and this, you know, through the cross. And then he says that the kingdom of God has to do with ruling and reigning with Christ through our obedience and submission to him as his followers. Okay? So that's the kingdom. And so some, some faith traditions uh, within our Christian faith emphasize the covenant. Some emphasize the kingdom. I, I like the I like the idea that brings these two kind of together is that because I'm a loved son or daughter, that nothing is beneath me to do. In other words, God, Jesus may ask you to do some things as your king, but none of that's ever beneath you because, again, like, like significance comes from God's love for us, right? So we're already significant. That's settled. We're already accepted. We're already safe in the love of God. Now I can clean toilets, preach a sermon, and not only, not only highlight those two things as like just as significant as one another, but re remember with you that they're literally, one's not more important than the other. <laughs> this is what this highlights, right? That one is actually not more important than the other, because what we're talking about is worship of God, as it says at the end of this passage, in reverence and awe, and that looks like a lot of different things, Right? It might look like cleaning toilets, and it might look like preaching a sermon, because the issue is obedience. The issue is obedience. But so the, the reason I bring up these two, the covenant and the kingdom, is because when you have, when you emphasize one without the other, you're missing something as Christ's church. So if I'm emphasizing the covenant, I may not be practicing this rule and reign in partnership with Christ to advance his kingdom through my spiritual gifts, through my calling. I might not be activated in those or, or practicing those because I just, I just think, well, I'm set, I have the love of God. I have eternal life. And I just like, I know where I'm going when I die. And that's the limits of it. But conversely, if you're just practicing the kingdom, as in you're doing things that you know are right from Scripture and you're passionate about these and you know that, that your purpose is in doing these things and you're right about that, but you're low on love, but you're low on the love of the Father, 
and you're doing these things and what's way more important to you is being right and judging people for being wrong than it is to love people, then we're missing the covenant side a little bit, right? <laughs> and what Jesus is very interested in doing is calibrating these in our lives. In other words, if we as the church are to remain a new wineskin, to carry his new wine, we need to know what he's saying in each now season in that calibration. <laughs> Does that make sense? We need to know what is God saying? Is it a season of, is it a day of focusing on the marriage of Christ and his bride and receiving the love of Christ? Or does it have, or is, is God breaking hearts in a room for lost souls or for a, a, a particularly oppressed group of people on a given day? And are we going to respond in obedience in our act, in our activism, in holy activism for him, and so it's important to be following him and hearing his voice in relationship and doing what he says as we consider true worship. My main point today, if you could go to that, Letha, my main point today is let's worship Jesus by posturing our hearts to receive and to give his kingdom. And so, after all, the, scriptures, the scripture here says, don't refuse him who's speaking. And since you've received this kingdom, so worship him acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I asked myself when I was preparing for this why not for our God is a good shepherd? Why not for our God is a holy savior? Why not for our God is a righteous judge and king? Why a consuming fire? I think for us to understand what he means by that, we need to consider uh, where he's quoting it from. And that's Deuteronomy 4. And the context of that passage is God is saying, I will not have other gods before me. I forbid you to create them. I forget, forbid you rather to have them. Anything that you've made ultimate in your life is unacceptable to me. And you could practice with your words. You could practice the sacrifices. But your heart is far from me. And he says... I forbid this, for I am a consuming fire. And a tied passage to this is Exodus 34, where God actually calls himself, capital J, a jealous God. That, like, this is one of his names. Jealous God. He is jealous for you. He is jealous for his bride, his church. He is jealous for those who are not, who are not yet part of that to come into that. And he is jealous to come against everything that violates his love. In your life, with which you've been ex uh, complicit, and that's attacked your life, that is not of God. He is a jealous God. And he, and that word jealous, kana in the Hebrew means to demand exclusive service. He demands of us exclusive service. Service. 
But we just talked about all this stuff of his covenant and his love for us, right? And I just said, he's so jealous for you. I mean, he loves you so much, right? So this service is not rooted in slavery. <laughs> this service is rooted in perfect love. It has to do everything with our freedom and the freedom of others and joining God in his work as a consumed people. In short, this exclusive service is ministering to the Lord. We're priests. And the, the context of that from the Old Testament is that the priests would minister to the Lord day and night. They would keep the lamps burning. And so we're called to minister to the Lord. And I alluded to this a few minutes ago, but that doesn't just look like worshiping God and praying to Him in a room. But that is very important to God. So I want to unpack that, and I want to unpack stepping out in obedience to Him. Jesus is so zealous for His house. The Bible says zeal for His house consumes Him and connects that passage with the house of prayer. That we be a house of praying people, right? That we engage God. And as we do, He is so burning and wait. Like when we came into here, He's so full of pleasure and delight in us that He was here waiting for us, right? Even as, he's, even as the Spirit of God is in you already, right? Like God is waiting to, what do I mean? Omnipresence? Yes. Manifest presence? Yes. <laughs> he is waiting to encounter us, for us to become aware of this love for us, to root this deep into us in new ways in every now season. And so he longs for us to come into his presence. And he says, where two or three are gathered, I say this verse all the time, you know, there I am in the middle. He wants to meet with us and for us to become God conscious to encounter him deeply. And so, um, but he also wants us to obey him uh, in our, the call on our lives. So when I think of covenant, I think of the calling on your life or your identity as a son or a daughter. When I think of kingdom, I think of um, the purpose for your life, what he wants you to partner with him to do, do in his authority, to where he wants to make right what's wrong. So, um, Who else brings you total freedom through his rule? He's perfect love. Like in him, there is complete freedom through his rule and reign. It's a great paradox, right? And so, um, but I want to unpack with you um, uh, from a couple stories uh, what I'm referring to about how it's both worship and prayer in a room and it's obedience to him out and what he's called us to do as we've heard his voice. So there was a prayer, there was a house of prayer ministry director in Pasadena, uh, Cheryl, who um, recently shared this story. She said, God called me to establish a place, a prayer, a worship and prayer room um, and to build that out in Pasadena. It wasn't a local church. She was just starting a prayer room with worship and, and multiplying worship leaders and prayer facilitators and uh, trying to live into this. And the Lord told her, he said, if you want to align with my heart for my house of prayer in the verse Isaiah 56, 7, you've got to read the verses before it. 
And in the verses before that, it talks about the out, the societal outcast and the foreigner and how they too, who hold fast to my covenant, who keep my Sabbath, who minister to me and love me, who have faith in me, they too are welcome to come to Zion. That's what this passage says, right? You don't come to a mountain with fear anymore, unable to come into the presence of God. You come to Zion. You come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. You come to Jesus, right? And we have complete access through Christ to the throne of God. And he said, and he said to her, in that, in that word to her, he was saying that I want, as an aspect of this, I want you guys to pray in the streets and to pray for people in your community in Pasadena. And not just to have a prayer room where you gather together. I want it to be both and. And also, they had inner healing and deliverance ministry to bring freedom to people as they also, through relationship, started to have more and more people who didn't yet know Christ come in. So this wasn't just a gathering for the church. It became a kind of missional outpost uh, as a house of prayer that led people to the Lord and that people got free through and, and that went out to them as part of, of their house of prayer. And so they didn't just have a, a devotional set and a worship and prayer set, uh, you know, on an ongoing basis throughout the week. On Fridays, they would go out and pray in the streets. And um, the Lord spoke something similar to Jake and I over the last five months. When we were in Dallas learning from a church who practices 72 hours of worship and prayer a week, uh, the first morning that we um, went to, to out, got outside of our Airbnb to go there, we, uh, we were walking to the car, and this man comes up to us and asks us for food. And so we walked with him and, and got him some food, and as we walked back and, um, and he left us, uh, Jake said to me, before we even got to the prayer room, we're encountering the manifest presence of Christ. And I knew what he was referring to was Matthew 25. That whenever you feed the least of these, you fed me. Right? Fast forward to earlier this month, and Jake and I are in Atlanta at another conference about building a praying church. We get to the airport in Atlanta, and a man comes up to us in a wheelchair. And he asks us for food. Now I'm paying attention. I'm like, <laughs> okay, uh, a little bit of a pattern here. And so we feed him and we pray for Floyd. And um, we, uh, and, and we go on to the conference. Um, lastly, a couple weeks ago, we're about to start, uh, a, gr uh, a small group of us were about to start a midweek prayer set here at the church. So we come to meet at our regular time of meeting, and a man walks in, and he needs clothes, he needs a shower, and he needs to eat. Those are the three things he asked for. That's not normal here. That doesn't happen a lot here. And it happened during a worship and prayer set. Now, we could have said, you know what, we have a prayer meeting. We can't help. <laughs> we could have, right? We could have lost sight of Jesus, ironically, in going to worship and pray to him. Because God is the God of holy interruptions too. He wanted us to meet with this man instead of worshiping him in prayer. He said, I want you to, I want you to serve me by feeding me and clothing me. 
and getting me a place for a shower. <laughs> and so, guys, I bring up these stories because even in the context of a house of prayer or a praying ministry, Jesus is saying, don't put me in a box. There's other ways to worship me too. And I want you to practice this rhythm that we always talk about, right, of up, in, and out. When we posture our hearts in the prayer room and the streets in obedience to Christ, we are coming to Jesus, like it says in this passage. It says, you have come to Zion. You have come to God. You have come to His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we practice. And that's why I use the words in my main point. It's a posture of the heart. That this is a posture, a practice, a lifestyle. It's not... Uh, isolated activity or, right, an event. Um, and so, what remains on the other side of the new covenant in Jesus' blood is continually receiving Christ as a practice, as a lifestyle, as a posture. In some seasons, guys, that means for our own freedom, and that means for our own wholeness. And Jesus is very much into that. And in other seasons, it's in partnering with Him and His kingdom to bring it to other people. Jesus wants to baptize us. He wants to fill us with His Spirit and baptize us in fire. And here in this passage, He describes Himself as a consuming fire. Guys, what it does not mean to be baptized in fire, we don't talk about the fire much, right? We talk about the filling of the Spirit, but Jesus makes a distinction about those two. He says, it says of Him that He will baptize us in the Holy Spirit and in fire. The fire is not condemning, it's not rejecting, it's not destroying. The fire is cleansing, it's purging us of, again, everything that violates that love and replacing and filling us with a, what Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, described as a fire in his bones by which he could not not speak, by which he could not not demonstrate and proclaim the kingdom of God. That we should be contending for not just more of the Holy Spirit, not just more filling of the Spirit of God, but the fire of God to be a consumed people. It's interesting that Jesus calls us, as John said last week, a lamp. That we're to be on, I mean, this picture he gives us, right, is to be on fire. <laughs> To be lit. And I love that picture. And I think God just wants to demystify what that means. And just, it's always about surrender and posturing your hearts um, to Him in obedience of faith, right? To receiving Him and His fire. What that means for our repentance. What that means for what He wants to replace that with. That the world would come to know Him through His fire on our lives. Jesus burns with fire for the lost. May we too. Right? May we too. May we get high on love if we're low on love. <laughs> May we get clear on His directions, His affirmation, 
his covenant, his kingdom, his leadership, his love, right? In each season, to know what to do and to do it from a place of fire, from a place of fullness. Well, I mentioned being in Asbury last week, and... Um, and so, yeah, so some of you may not know what, what's going on there. It's primarily um, about a little over two weeks ago, um, a friend of Joel's actually uh, and, uh, preached a, a message. He called it a slightly crappy message and um, said that God's presence fell on a handful of students there um, at Asbury University. And uh, what that manifested in was confession and repentance, uh, largely. The spiritual, and then, and then more and more people came and came under that same power of God's ministry to them. And so, but what's happened since then is what has happened in the past in church history, that in a unique way, um, it has continued on ceaselessly now for better than two weeks. It's changed its format, it's changed its location, but um, people are still having that meeting, so to speak, that worship and prayer meeting, because God's presence is so heavy among them. Uh, the spiritual leaders of that environment have described it as a, um, uh, as Christ, a move of Christ's radical humility and holy love. And so Joel's friend at, said, we need help. Because, you know, they, as they described it, it was like building a plane while it was in the air. Uh, like God, God came, and they didn't have plans for this. And so, as people started coming from around the world, now, um, you know, at that point, one week into it, um, then with social media, right? Like, and just it just stuff accelerates. And but so um, they just needed help, and a handful of us uh, went, and we didn't know if it would be you know, serving food, taking out garbage, or what, just to keep, you know, just to keep things moving there, and um, they, when we got there that night, they uh, trained us in prayer ministry, and we got to minister, and guys, it was amazing, I mean, seeing the altar flooded with tears and people, mostly, like I said, Gen Z, um, giving, surrendering their lives to Jesus. Um, there was a woman there who came to ridicule the, the awakening that was happening there, and she told me that through sobbing at the altar. God met her. She came to Christ. She was delivered from the fear of rejection and abandonment, from her uh, pain of real rejection and abandonment in her life. Um, guys, there's countless stories. Uh, one young man, he, um, I came up to him. I said, what do you want Jesus to do for you? He said, I want God in my life. And I said, do you have a relationship with Jesus? He said, no, but I want one. I mean, that's what ministry was like for 11 hours at this altar. I mean, it was like, yeah, um, low-hanging fruit. Um, and so just, just, I mean, why? Because God's presence, He just chose in His sovereignty to come in that way uh, amongst a group of people. Um, Brooke and I were laying hands on uh, this young married couple who are ministering on a college campus who um, feel a calling to inner healing and deliverance. And so we were praying impartation over them and, and blessing them. And, and we're on a Zoom call with them later this week to train them um, in inner healing and, and deliverance. And, and just amazing what God um, was doing there. And um, if, John, you can come and play. Um, I want to wrap up with this, but I want to talk about how God positioned us in it because it says something of what he's doing here and now, here 
and now. Like, not just in America or Kentucky, but here in Aliquippa, uh, here in our region. The Lord positioned us. There was no personal ambition in it, no agenda on our part. Like I said, we didn't know what we were going to be doing. The Lord positioned us to give revival in a context of spiritual awakening, to minister there. I don't say that boasting in us. I boast in Christ and what he's done here. It's a testimony to what he's doing here. And I know Brooke spoke to that last week here. Um, but I just want to like, I just want to join in on that to affirm us and say that sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees. And when you're doing lifestyle revival, it's not like that prayer room in Asbury <laughs> all the time. But I do want to encourage us. It is happening here. Like we had it to give, right? We had it to give. And that says something of what God is doing among us. He's creating something beautiful here. And what he was, what he was doing was not just meeting people for them in calling, in sonship, in love. He was meeting people for his per higher kingdom purpose for their lives for the sake of other people around the world, right? This is where Isaiah in the Old Testament got undone in God's presence. And that's what was happening to people that day in Asbury. They were getting undone. I'm a man. I'm a woman of unclean lips. My people are a people of unclean lips. Oh God, woe is us. And God comes and he absolves us of our sin. And he heals us in our bodies and in our emotions. And he frees us spiritually for the things that we just couldn't shake on our own for decades. And then he says, who shall I send? It's a divine setup, isn't it? <laughs> who, who, who could I send now? I don't know now that you've encountered me as utterly irresistible. <laughs> as the only one who could set you free to surrender to love and to give away what I've just given you. Who, who could I possibly send? <laughs> and all these people in Asbury are saying, send me! Send me! And that's what's happening here. We are getting in touch with, we are getting a revelation of our sonship and daughtership. We are getting in touch with our sentness and what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Right? It's to worship and praise Him in worship and prayer, but it's also to do what He says to do. Right? And to go where He says to go. If the prayer ministers can come forward, um, I just want to close um, by saying someone will be closing the service, I know. Um, but I just want to encourage us to keep our lamps burning. I think the word for us is your lamps lit. Keep it burning. Stay leaned in in this posture of worship toward me. Of worship uh, with reverence and awe. Of worship in receiving and giving my kingdom. Amen.